Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Top Docs Radio Show. Thanks so much for making us a part of your afternoon again today. I'm pleased to be continuing our ongoing series with the Medical Association of Georgia, hosting one of their folks here in the studio with us. Today, I've got the Executive Vice President of the Physicians Institute for Excellence in Medicine, and that's a not-for-profit organization subsidiary to the Medical Association of Georgia. Uh, Bob Adelton, he's the Executive Vice President, taking some time out of his schedule to come and share some information. They've got some things going on that they're rolling out here soon. So, Bob, I'm really pleased to have you joining us here in the studio today. Hey, great to be here with you. So take me through your background a little bit so we can kind of tie it into what we're talking about here with the Physicians Institute of Excellence. Okay. Well, I'm a native Georgian. I was born at the old Crawford W. Long Hospital right here. <laughs> My in daughter Midtown. was born down there, All right. too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, becoming increasingly rare to that's right, uh, yeah. be a, a Georgian who was actually born yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. So, but I grew up in Griffin. And for undergraduate school, I went to the University of Georgia, where I had a double major in journalism and English. Okay. And then I went to graduate school in education uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and stayed in North Carolina at Appalachian State up in the mountains for a little additional work to prepare me to work in a college counseling center Mm -hmm. environment. I did that for a while, but... uh, really was drawn into in, a more entrepreneurial kind of mode um, and got really interested in continuing education while I was working at the University of South Carolina and um, went on to the University of Alabama and got a doctorate in educational leadership, which prepared me to work in continuing education. Uh, roll Tide, by the way. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so then eventually uh, filtered into healthcare. Uh, becoming staff development director at a large psychiatric uh, hospital and then getting hired by the Medical College of Virginia to lead quality improvement teams of physicians. So what kind of moved you in that direction, bending towards healthcare? Um, I had worked in counseling settings um, in a, a mental health clinic and then in a counseling center and I sort of missed, I was I had been working in a community college as director of uh, continuing education in Virginia, but I missed my uh, mental health colleagues and just, just, I wanted to feel all along and whatever I did helped people's lives directly in some way. And while mm-hmm. we certainly did that at the community college, community colleges are a really important thing and change people's lives. Sure. Uh, healthcare is even more fundamental in that in that direction and in state psychiatric hospitals you're talking about people who are in uh, really desperate kinds of yeah, situations I, I remember because my background was nursing and um, that was a challenging rotation for me to see those folks in that in that state yep. it's very you know it's a tough it's a tough thing to deal with it's um, obviously you got to give your hat a, a tip to the folks that uh, spend their time helping those folks. Yeah, and so I, you know, I did that for about about 4 years, but then had an opportunity to go learn about this 
uh, just burgeoning movement of quality improvement in hospitals. We're talking like eight, 1989 now, mm-hmm. and so this was very innovative for the Medical College of Virginia to be doing. But you want to talk about working with psychiatric patients versus leading improvement teams of physicians? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> There's probably some crossover. Not sure sure we want to talk about which was more challenging. (laughs) Yeah. So so it's clear you've got a passion for for healthcare. And and as we've been sitting here leading up to getting on the air and then, of course, now telling your story, it's it's cool to sit down with folks who are here because – similar mm-hmm. similar passions from behind you. you 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 really it's clear that you you take a lot of pride in the fact that when you've accomplished something with your work you know that on the other end of it a patient outcome is probably going to be improved because you were there that's yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty yeah, cool. completely i mean that's why physicians do their work yeah and so introduce us to the physicians institute for excellence in medicine in case somebody hasn't heard of it yet Okay, well, as you said earlier, it's a subsidiary of the, the Medical Association of Georgia, and let me just tell you briefly how it, how it came about. I, I've, I've, by the way, this June, I've just completed my 17th year at the Medical Association of Georgia, so I've been there a while. Mm-hmm. So I was director of continuing education uh, for about the, the first six years I worked at the Medical Association of Georgia. Now, I, I, frankly, I was getting a little stale uh, doing that. I was what looking, was your focus back then? It was more about um, accrediting organizations to provide continuing medical education. There's a whole, there's a whole series of uh, bureaucratic rules that organizations who want to award the continuing education credits to physicians, they, they have to follow these rules. Um, and it didn't really, you know, back to this, this patient outcomes focus, it wasn't direct enough for me. Uh, yes, it was making a difference very through a very indirect route. Wasn't, wasn't enough, didn't challenge me enough. And so I approached the uh, CEO of MAG, David Cook, at the time and said, I've got an, a, a new idea. I want to do some really innovative uh, continuing medical education projects. You know, uh, here's here's the idea that at at the community hospital level, uh, these people generally don't have the funding to do the kinds of activities they want. They may not have the training in educational design, curriculum development, that kind of thing, and outcomes at uh, studies were becoming more and more prevalent in. CME at the time saying, all right, so, well, when I, when I was at Alabama, I had a professor who used to sit in the back of the room and every now and again yell, so what? At us. <laughs> when somebody you was know, speaking. You know, <laughs> yes, while somebody was speaking. And so what was the so what? What's the so what? You do yeah. these activities. Right. What does it result in? Uh-huh. And so uh, people didn't know, didn't know how to do that kind of outcomes evaluation. And so I said, I, I, I want to do this, and I think I can – I can get the funding for it. And so David said, well, uh, here's the thing, Bob. What an idea. Uh, if you want to run with that, here are the conditions. Number one, you have to raise all your own funds. Number two, you can't return to your old job. <laughs> you got to burn the boats. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. Uh, Columbus, I'm not, but, uh, you know, yes, that was the case. And, I mean, with an offer like that, how could you turn it down? Yeah. Right? 
Well, I, I knew I was going to be successful. So here, 11 years later, we're still successful. We're still doing these things and done many, many projects. So that's, that's how the uh, Physicians Institute came about. And we were launched, really, by a generous grant from the Physicians Foundation for Health Systems Excellence. It gave us a grant to do uh, educational projects in Georgia around um, how physicians could implement electronic medical records. There would be no real need for that now, but 11 years ago, sure. that was uh, that was cutting-edge stuff. And so uh, we were off and running then. We had a track record. We said, well, we've done this. You know, No, we're not just completely starting out. So when you were first coming up with the kernel of your idea, was there a set of things that you were really seeing an opportunity to, man, we can, I think we can make a difference here. This is an area across our constituents' practices in their health systems where it seems that there's some opportunities where somebody with some consulting, some education, some you know, expertise like you mm -hmm. bring to bear yeah. that, that they could benefit? Well, you know, at, at the time, um, I was talking to a lot of primary care physicians, and so I said, all right, so let's just talk about a patient care area that keeps you up at night mm -hmm. that you worry about. Maybe we could do better. Over and over again, they mention depression. From the patient's perspective. We're, well, yeah, yeah. We're seeing lots of, yeah. lots of patients who are experiencing depression. Right. And we're not really sure, like, what screening tool should we use? What, in, in primary care, you know, what, what are the best medications uh, to, to use? Because that's not our area. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this really appealed to me because why? I had a background in mental health. And so um, I approached uh, some pharmaceutical companies about funding um, a program here. And so um, uh, Wyeth decided to give us some money, and they said, you know, uh, you, we can't do it just in Georgia. We want to have more of an impact, so can you round up some other states? And so it just so happened that... It was near the annual meeting of uh, my professional society, the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions, and we had a medical society section, state medical society section. And so I approached those people and said, you know, here's this new thing I want to do. Um, there's a chance we could get a grant uh, to fund this. Anybody want to be in on it? And four other states came forward. And so we found that in working with these other states, um, telling them they were going to be doing a project led by the Medical Association of Georgia um, <laughs> didn't resonate, sure. shall we say, politically within their organizations. And so we approached our board. By the way, we have a separate board from MAG's board. Okay. We approached our board and said we'd really like to change our name to the Physicians Institute. No, not designating any particular state. Well, it makes sense when you're going to be nationally focused. Yeah, right. And we didn't know we were. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot, of, a lot of these things have just sort of happened through serendipity. You know, we didn't plan for them, but we were there to take advantage of them when they did happen. And so uh, we became the Physicians Institute. We did that first uh, program on depression. And then we were looking at, so what's another plague of the southern region? cardiovascular disease. Well, then the next grant we were awarded was a million-dollar grant. I can't tell you the excitement I had. I actually um, 
had the check sent to our attorney who resided in Atlantic Station here at the time, and I went over to her office and picked up that million-dollar check and took it back to the MAG offices. That was an incredible experience. Wow. I'm sure that was quite rewarding to to see that kind of traction taking shape for what you're trying to do. Yeah. And in fact, so if your listeners are out there thinking, whoa, a million dollars, you know, got a million dollars. Well, we kept only a small portion of that for administrative fees. Nearly all of the grants that we get, uh, 90% of them go back out in terms of uh, funds to uh, the people we award grants to. I'll be glad to talk about that grants process, which is uh, what we're best known for in the continuing medical education world. And uh, we've been written up in JAMA, for instance, um, about a solution to the perceived uh, influence of pharmaceutical money on continuing medical education. We think we have a solution to that. We've been talking with the Executive Vice President of the Physicians Institute for Excellence in Medicine, Bob Adelton, sharing some information about the genesis of that nonprofit organization. As Bob explained, it's aimed at improving patient safety, improving uh, work workflow for physicians, and, and hopefully, ultimately, in the process, improving the level of satisfaction both the provider has throughout the course of their work, as well as obviously that's going to bleed over to the patient and uh, allow them to also experience better outcomes and a better experience while they're there in the physician's office. And clearly with the recent changes in laws nowadays with the Affordable Care Act, for example, uh, patient satisfaction and patient outcomes obviously being a very important factor in how our colleagues are reimbursed around uh, the nation now. clearly has an impact on mm-hmm. all of those types of things. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about the grant process. You want to elaborate on that? How, yeah, and and yeah, where sure. are those funds when they when you are able to secure mm-hmm. grants from somebody? What do you do with those? Yeah, well, what, what we have done is we invented a process that we call the collaborative grants model. And so let's, let's just suppose that we got a million-dollar grant from some pharmaceutical company, and it would be their um, independent education office and not any kind of political action money or um, uh, marketing or just these these people have firewalls between marketing and education now that in, ensure that they're not they're not obviously trying to uh, get physicians to prescribe a particular drug. So at any rate, for the skeptic, how do they do that? How do it, they how do they keep that apart? Yeah, how do, how do they keep that apart? Well. Uh, they they do that by um, not requiring that you even talk about their medications okay. at all. Uh, for instance, in our cardiovascular risk factors uh, grant, the thing we got the million dollars for, um, there are lots of ways to identify and work on cardiovascular risk factors, like through exercise, diet, other kinds of lifestyle changes that don't involve any medications at all. And so uh, when uh, what we do is we get the money, we then announce a, a new RFP, a request for proposals that we send out to accredited CME providers, and we say, well, here's, here's a project, some cardiovascular risk factors. What is it that your local needs tell you needs to be improved about that? Is it around diagnosis? Is it around treatment? Is it around follow-up? We want to hear what your needs are locally. The pharmaceutical company can't know that from their level. 
They have no idea what St. Joseph's Hospital in wherever needs. Only they do. Mm-hmm. They tell us in terms of responding to our RFP, and then we have an independent board of experts that comes through those RFPs and selects the best to be funded. Can you talk about that part of the process? What what elevates something to the to the point where it makes sense to begin to dedicate some of those grant funds and obviously time to trying to go in and evaluate processes and see what we can do about XYZ issue? A- excellent question. Uh, the first thing to begin with is the quality of their needs assessment. Uh, for instance, uh, do they have their continuing medical education department connected with some sort of uh, quality improvement department that maybe is collecting data on a regular basis about uh, treatment trends so they really know um, where, where their gaps are. Um, are there particular things about that process that for you when you evaluate, how did you arrive at this that in case somebody's listening that it might help them be better able to do such an assessment? Is there is there... Are there some points that you feel like uh, if they do it this way, go at it in, in terms of their evaluation? Well, in any, any kind of evaluation, you want to evaluate against a standard. So uh, choose a standard, choose a guideline, choose something that has, has been measured and is measurable, and then see where you stand against it. For instance, what percentage of your patients are uh, within compliant guidelines concerning their hemoglobin A1C mm-hmm. management. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a number. Um, it can be um, analyzed. It can be measured against. There are national guidelines that say, you know, where your patient should be. Yeah, and I know what, that that's a, one of those big things that's on the rise with regards to mm-hmm. its importance from the reimbursement perspective. The a- better you're doing a- that across your patient population, the a- obviously the better you're going to Absolutely. Do. Now you're talking about value-based purchasing, and, and that's going to affect uh, physicians in private practice as well in large practices as well as employed physicians uh, mm-hmm. dramatically over the next few years. But back to our, our grant system. So the quality of the need is really important. Uh, number two, what, what's their plan? Does it seem to be achievable? Uh, is it pie in the sky, or is it something that can be accomplished within uh, the time frame that we, we mentioned for back in, in terms of quality improvement kinds of talk? Uh, people have a tendency to focus on what we call world hunger <laughs> yeah, uh, issues. Right, right. Uh, they, they'd like to solve these things, but within a six-month or 12-month period, um, you just can't do it. You can do some aspect of it. And so we're looking for realism. Sure. And then we're looking for commitment. We require in all of our responses to an RFP the identification of a physician champion. I, I can't overemphasize that too much, that physicians are the quarterbacks of these processes. And they, if you don't have committed physician leadership in whatever project you're trying to accomplish, it will not happen. It will not happen at a level that I want to see. Now, now when we're going through and we are a couple of questions on this piece, Mm -hmm. when you do your RFP and they Mm -hmm. they come back in with issues Mm -hmm. that you identify as Mm -hmm. this would be a good one to focus on, are we doing that at this given location? Um, 
St. Mary's hospital mm-hmm. system, or is it more we're going to try to distribute some educational efforts across a broad spectrum, or is it we're going to go in and tackle this issue here in this location for this project? Yeah, we, we hardly ever deal with just one location. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're trying to, in our, in our grant system, in our collaborative grants model, we're trying to give out, say, a minimum of five grants. Um, it, this is, depends on the amount of funding that we're receiving and, you know, what, what's the scope of the project that we're talking about. But, no, we never work with just one organization. It's always multiple organizations and usually multiple states. It's uh, very rare. Tackling that, that would, same issue or? Yeah, tackling that same issue, but from, hey, not our perspective, from their perspective. You see, that's, that's the key, key differentiating factor. We don't tell them what it is that they need to work on. We, we tell them a broad area like cardiovascular risk factors. What does that mean to you, we say? Mm-hmm. What if, go and find a physician whose hair is on fire about that issue. Find out what it is they want to work on. Do a needs analysis and see if it's really a problem. If it is, respond to our RFP. Well, we may fund you. And so the typically I would assume that the health leadership in that given facility or system is probably aware of Dr. Jones and Dr. Smith, and they're constantly raising this uh, issue uh, to yeah. us. Is that yeah. how that flows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's that, mm, we wish Dr. Jones would go away. <laughs> He's really <Yeah>. squeaky. <laughs> <laughs> but Dr. Jones is, is about what? He's about taking care of his patients, right? Yeah. And he's advocating for his patients. And they just don't have a way to help him. We have a way to help him. And so talk about that. Once we've identified a problem, they've given, a, mm-hmm. they've done a thorough an- yep. analysis yep. and have been awarded a grant. What happens then? Do you have a, okay, well, is when, it you or is it there a staff with you that goes yeah. in and begins to interface with them? How's that flow? Oh, okay. So, uh, gosh, you're asking great questions. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So uh, after we give them the grant, there are conditions with that grant. Uh, number one, we, we establish a time frame. Number two, we assign a project manager to them. And so that project manager will be checking in with them on at least a monthly basis to make sure that they're actually doing what they said they were going to do. Sometimes we find that people have decided they didn't want to work on that issue. They've decided to work on another issue, but they can't actually do that because they've signed a contract with us Mm -hmm. to do this issue. And sometimes people find that, you know, there wasn't um, as much commitment as we thought, and they wind up giving us the money back. And we give it to somebody else Sure. at, at that point. So we also, in our projects, have uh, an educational design consultant to work with these people. And we make that person available to them at no extra charge. It's paid for by the grant. And then we have an outcomes um, evaluation company that we always assign to all of the grantees. Why? Because they have a particular expertise in this that's generally not found at the local level. Secondly, we want to make sure that at the end of the day, we have commonalities in data that we can report back to our funder. And let me tell you why that's important. It's important that we make sure that our funders are seen as successful through giving us money Mm-hmm. so that they can get more money within their organizations, and then they can give us money again. Sure. 
So, um, you know, it's a, it's a complete cycle. So we, we want to help our grantees. We want to help ourselves, obviously. This is our business. And we want to help the people who award us the money in the first place so that uh, they can be seen as good stewards of their organizations and making good decisions to give us grants. So once, say we're going to go with A1C, we're going to try to see mm-hmm. if we can improve A1C across our primary care delivery system. How do you distribute the knowledge, if you will? Do you all, I mean, do you, is it your folks that are kind of going in boots on the ground as a team to interface with the primary care set there? Or are you advising the the healthcare team there? This is how yeah, we, we recommend you yeah, we, get we, them on board. We generally advise the health team care that's there. And sometimes it depends on the project. Sometimes they need ancillary information. Let me get away from the A1C sure. uh, uh, example, and go to the project we did on Alzheimer's and other dementias, where we actually funded um, an interactive uh, video-based case-based system uh, to teach uh, clinicians within um, the settings in which we awarded grants um, useful and basic and advanced information on uh, the differences between um, uh, Lewy body, um, Alzheimer's, uh, frontal lobe dementia, other kinds of uh, dementias. So we, we funded that as an ancillary uh, educational product for them uh, to use. Every now and again we, we do that, but typically we allow people at the local level to select their own experts, develop their, their own information. Can you share some more examples of some of the places where you have been able to go in and, and help them actually improve some outcomes that they came back to you and yeah, said, hey, yeah. this is what's going on with our patients now? Yeah, uh, a couple of examples. Uh, the first I'd like to talk about was uh, we were partners in um, uh, the, the largest uh, uh, grant-funded activity ever in the history of continuing medical education, which was close to $20 million worth. And that was an effort called Cease Smoking Today. And it was, it was about tobacco secession. And we ended up doing a project in Arizona with the Indian Health Service. That was an incredibly rewarding um, experience to train lay workers to go out into the far reaches of Arizona and New Mexico to um, uh, teach people how to stop smoking. Uh, smoking is, is epidemic proportions on in uh, Native American populations. And um, it, some of these people had never had those resources available to them, ever. Uh, you would think that through the Indian Health Service that would have happened, but it had not mm-hmm. happened. How do you track something like that when you're when the when one of the outcomes metrics I would assume is interview process, are you mm-hmm. smoking? Have you stopped smoking? Mm-hmm. Yes, no. Mm-hmm. Are there other ways that you can determine or measure how effectively you are doing well, on something? Well, we like that? we were interested in stop rates, and unfortunately, I didn't I didn't bring that data uh, with me. Uh, we do have it, but um, uh, we actually 
this project went on for a year and a half, and so we were able to get actual rates of people who had not only participated in the counseling, which it, it was basically zero before, right, and uh, saw uh, how many had participated in the counseling, and then how many people had stopped for at least several months uh, smoking, and and so uh, we had those those measures of success. Generally speaking, in these continuing medical education efforts, the projects don't go on long enough to really get to patient outcomes. Sure. And so we generally stop with an analysis of, well, you know, since we're, our, our, our deal is to reach the healthcare providers and give them new tools, better information, ways to improve their practice, and then see if they actually go and they say they apply these things. Um, we hope that later that would result in better health outcomes, but we generally don't stay involved with them long enough to follow that up. Mm-hmm. And that might take years to, to figure out. Executive Vice President of the Physicians Institute for Excellence in Medicine, Bob Adelton, is sharing some time with us in studio today talking about how they create continuing med- medical education offerings through an RFP process with health systems, health systems and hospitals uh, around the country, uh, helping them impact patient outcomes, uh, work process uh, flow for a physician in their practice, for example, that uh, improves satisfaction for both parties. And when it comes down to um, you're, you're, you were describing the fact that you, you know many of the projects are kind of short. They, you get them going, you hopefully get them some momentum. Mm-hmm. Do they come back sometimes with some longitudinal follow-up after the fact and say, hey, this, we started this project with you back in 2012. It was a six-month project, and now this is kind of what we're seeing as a result of that. Do you get some of that downstream yeah, unfor- feedback? Yeah, unfortunately, we, we don't. I see. Yeah, and unfortunately, we don't. I, I wish we did. You know, looking into the future... I think we'll be doing more of that kind of thing, but uh, to this date, now we've 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 stopped at um, kind of staying with them for about a year. Uh, level is about all that we do, but but to date, we've done more than thirty initiatives and reached more than twenty five thousand participants in thirty one states. Uh, I just wanted to read some of the areas in which we've worked: depression and anxiety, the cardiovascular risk factors diabetes, tobacco cessation, COPD, Alzheimer's, chronic pain, pneumonia, rheumatoid arthritis, low back pain, stroke, adult vaccination, blood management, and sepsis, just as an example. But you talk about what does this mean to people in our latest project we we did where we did um, uh, management of chronic pain in the primary care setting in five different states we reached um, over 200 clinicians who who dealt with more than 2,000 patients. And we went at the end of the project, we asked each state to pick um, a practice that they thought uh, had the most meaningful outcome. And so we uh, contracted with a video production company called Event Streams here in Atlanta. And we actually flew to those practice locations and uh, video recorded the clinicians saying in their own words what these projects meant to them. And uh, we have those videos posted now on the doctor's channel. And anyone who goes to our website, www.physiciansinstitute.org, uh, you can link to it from the mag. 
website. Uh, you can see those videos, and they're free, and there's actually CME credit assigned to those videos. Okay. And I know that there's a project coming up, getting ready to kick off this month, the Leadership in Practice Initiative. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, for um, eight years, I, I have been the dean of the Georgia Physicians Leadership Academy. And so um, this is a year-long project uh, each year where we have somewhere between 12 and 16 um, identified physician up-and-coming leaders that we put through a year-long uh, leadership training program. We do this through the auspices of the MAG Foundation. Okay. And so um, an essential part of what they go through, two of their sessions, in fact, two of the six, have to do with um, learning about leadership. And so uh, we're, we're actually kicking off um, um, a focus on providing uh, physician leadership training to physician groups, to large physician practices, to clinics, to hospitals, to other state medical societies. Um, I'll be attending a, a conference specifically focusing on this up in New York um, in August, and I'll be attending the uh, American Association of Medical Society Executives meeting in Portland, Oregon to talk about th this topic, too. So what is the positive impact of such a, a course? If I've gone through that, what... What do I take back with me to where I live and right. work? Well, let, let, me, uh, let me just mention a specific example. So um, for the past four years, we've been consulting with the Georgia Academy of Family Physicians on their patient-centered medical home university model. And um, over four years, and having worked with a lot of different practices, uh, we've determined that one of the key elements in the success of the project is we're back to this, the identification of the physician champion and the physician leader. It, it, it's, it's a currency that uh, has to be anteed up. Um, you, you have to have a physician leader on these um, very important clinical uh, uh, projects. And uh, physicians, by and large, don't have any training in this. Uh, many of them are natural leaders. Uh, they've, they've learned through the School of Hard Knocks uh, a lot of things to do in terms of leadership. But uh, many of them sort of crave um, a, a leadership experience. And so we decided that um, uh, as part of our mission with the Physicians Institute that we should uh, be providing that training from a physician organization perspective. You know, I mean, here's the thing. The Physicians Institute is a part of the Medical Association of Georgia. We, we are owned by them. We work for them. Mm -hmm. We have their best interest at heart as opposed to these you know, commercial providers of this kind of training who really might not know anything about the, the lives of physicians or be so involved in uh, what they do as us. And so we, we think we're better the best able, option. the best option to do it. <laughs> and, and, and so um, uh, over, over the years, I, I have a lot of experience in delivering um, uh, the leadership challenge, which is the approach uh, by uh, 
Jim Cozes and Barry Posner that um, actually millions of people have gone through this. They have a, a, a best-selling book called The Leadership Challenge, but um, it, it's an exciting program to offer, and uh, I decided I would get certified in, in doing that training uh, this year. So we, we're going to be doing that through the Physicians Institute. When you bring a physician into that program and you get them started with it, um, what is your real, I mean, what's your primary focus for them? I mean, are you looking for them to be a better team builder or a better manager of people within their practice? What's, you know, what's the thrust? Well, one, there, there, there are five essential practices that uh, Cozes and Posner uh, identify uh, through the leadership challenge and, um, what we try to do with uh, with the work uh, that we're doing in, in this regard is to have have the physician leader uh, through uh, the use of a tool called the Leadership Practices Inventory. It's a 360 degree evaluation tool. Analyze um, themselves in terms of of 30 uh, very concrete behaviors that leaders um, exhibit and to reach back to this needs assessment evaluation kind of thing you can see how this fits in with our, our overall scope and so they analyze themselves and then they get up to 10 other people to analyze what they see uh, them doing and so there's a direct behavioral feedback in this and it, it's about so it, not saying what we want them to be, it's what do they want themselves to be uh, in terms of the, dis, um, displaying these behaviors. So when I'm going through it, am I, I'm, am I kind of rating myself uh, against, um, I don't know, you name the, you name the, the, the item of, of my leadership inventory, if you will. Mm -hmm. I'm doing kind of a mm -hmm. subjective analysis mm -hmm. this is where i feel on a scale yeah. of one to five one to ten whatever the case may be mm -hmm. as i always do this i yeah, sometimes yeah, do this yeah concretely do you yeah. treat people with respect yeah uh sometimes all the time never um you know what do you think but what's more important is what do other people think i was going to say is there <laughs> any kind of feedback that comes in yes. from outside because well, i'm sure say, there's times where there's some disconnect there oh well, that's 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 the power <laughs> that's the power of it yeah. is having the other 10 people weigh in and say you know this is what i see you doing it's a very powerful thing and here's the thing some people rate themselves very low but other people rate them as high mm. you know they may say I don't see myself as an inspiring leader. Other people say, wow, you're really inspiring, you know, to me. We, we don't see ourselves accurately. You know, we're generally speaking fairly poor raters of our own behaviors, and it's really powerful to hear it from another person and then to hear that feedback within the context of an identified structure. So, I mean, you can go and, and get this feedback, but... All of this happens within the structure presented through the leadership challenge. And so, you know, there's, a, there's a, uh, um, an intellectual, a philosophical, even a spiritual construct behind all of this. Now, is there happening. any kind of an ongoing process for those folks, or is that once they kind of go through, then they're, they're 
they've graduated and they're they're on to their lives. Well, there's an individual feedback session with everybody about their about their their information. But are we talking about um, the leadership and practice thing now? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 right now, it, it's just a workshop. We're just starting to to get started in this. We would like it to be uh, more of an ongoing kind of thing. We're going to see, we'll let the marketplace decide, you know, <laughs> will, will, will there be a need need for this or not? It's like we do with everything. I know that you, uh, as the as the Institute, did some work as it relates to you. talked earlier about uh, pain control, for example, and things mm-hmm. like that. And I know that you've been instrumental as it relates to the risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, yes. education. You want to talk briefly about that? Yeah. In, in fact, um, uh, in the beginning, in terms of who was awarded grants to do this, uh, risk evaluation and mitigation strategies, education, um, uh, originally, there were only four grants given out, and we were involved in two of them. So, um, yeah, we're we're um, a fairly uh, significant player um, in that. So, um, to date, uh, we're, we've worked with 32 different states on uh, grants to their state medical society, and there have been 162 individual educational activities, and we've reached close to 10,000. Uh, learners through this. So um, it's just talking with some officials at the FDA, and they are really, really pleased with this voluntary educational effort. Right now, providers are not being required to attend these REMS educational strategies. They're deciding on their own to go and sit through two and a half to three hours of education on long-acting opioids. And uh, the FDA has been really, really excited about the results of this. And I hate to tell this to the physician audience out there, but there will be even more REMS activities uh, in the (laughs) future. On the patient side of things, I I would assume that this is aimed at mitigating abuse and addiction to prescription medications. Am I on track with that? Well, it, it's making or how sure... how we prescribe it, those it, medications. It's, 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 it's attempting to make sure that physician prescribers, and that's the main target of this, but we're also reaching PAs, NPs, other people who have an opportunity to influence the prescription process. Um, but we're trying to make sure that uh, prescribers are current on the essential information so that they're making the proper decisions about who to prescribe to, how much to prescribe, when to stop prescribing, uh, to know about drug contracts, um, all, all of these uh, items, because prescription drug abuse is a huge problem in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've we've had the folks from the Think About It campaign on, right. and, um, and obviously and, and, and huge we, impact. And, and we gave a grant to them mm. uh, along the way. Well, it's a great project, and I was certainly pleased to be sharing some information about that. What's what's coming up next for the institute? Well, our chronic pain project that I mentioned that we did in five states was so um, well received by our funder Pfizer that they've asked us to um, get involved with some of the really legendary um, educational experts in the field of continuing medical education and take a look at all of our previous collaborative grant awardees and, and find what were the success factors 
involved in the people who were successful with their grants. And so we're going to be involved in some educational research that then will lead to a whole new series of educational grants. And we're not sure if it's going to be in chronic pain or in some other area, but uh, that's going to be a real exciting project to be involved in uh, for the rest of the year. We're going to continue our continuing uh, work with the Georgia Academy and the Patient-Centered Medical Home University. And we hope we can get this leadership and practice thing off the ground. Uh, I've talked to a couple of county medical societies down in Florida that seem to be really interested in uh, pursuing this approach. Are our Georgia physicians jumping in and taking advantage of some of these well, offerings? Well, we, we really haven't, haven't uh, uh, talked about uh, marketing it very much. We've been uh, trying to get our ducks in a row. And uh, they're going to be hearing a lot more about it, probably starting in the next month or so. We've been talking with Executive Vice President for the uh, Institute for Excellence in Physician, uh, Physicians Institute for Excellence in Medicine, Bob Adelton, learning a lot about the different educational offerings that they have going on. And can you share for the listener, um, just kind of bring them back to, if they want to try to participate in some of these offerings, what's the best way to go about interfacing with the Institute so that they can be one of those companies or be one of those organizations that's uh, receiving benefit? Well, one of the best ways to stay in touch with us is to check out our website uh, regularly and also the Medical Association of Georgia website so you can see if there are any uh, grant opportunities or any program opportunities coming up that you might want to take advantage of. Our director of communications is always sending out information about things that are happening at MAG. And you kind of... One of the things you said a moment ago sort of answered this for me a little bit. I was going to ask if now that you've been doing this for a little while, I would presume that you've gained some momentum, a little bit of mass, and now some of those grantees are a little bit more able or easier, if you will. It's never easy, I'm sure, to find funding. But, I mean, given your track record and the the success stories that you've had, are you finding that it's getting to be a little bit easier to, one, have those companies come back or those sources of funding come back? and even maybe to have some reaching out to you to say, hey, we would like to uh, contribute. Uh, I wish that were possible, but actually uh. it doesn't ever happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wishful thinking. Yeah, yeah. No, you always have to have to uh, try to convince them to give you some money. There's so, so many other people competing for an ever smaller pot. Now, I know that uh, you're, you're vice president and president-elect, so next year you're going to mm-hmm. be stepping into the president role for the Alliance for Continuing Education in the Health Professions. Now, that's an international organization, right? Yeah, it is. And what is that going to mean for you personally? Oh, I, it's already started as vice president. I guess I spend about probably about six hours a week on Alliance business, but as president I'll probably double that. Uh, or more, and I'll have to travel a lot more uh, representing the Alliance at uh, various meetings and and functions. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I I sort of see it as the culmination of, you know, my my professional experience. I've been a member for a long time, and to be president of the association is a very great honor. Mm -hmm. And before we run out of time, I want to make sure that uh, we get all the information out that, that you need to. Are there things that we left out that, uh, that we want to try to get out there to the folks before we have to let you get back to your day? Oh, let me let me consider that for a moment. I brought a little list um, here. 
Um, any you know, events coming up that uh, people need to know about on the calendar? Well, we're, we're underway with this edition, the eighth edition of the Georgia Physicians Leadership Academy. But uh, those listeners out there who are involved in their specialty organizations, their county medical association or some other um, healthcare association, and uh, they're interested in a truly great leadership experience, uh, will be looking for Class 9 of the Georgia Physicians Leadership Academy, and they need to check out that information on the MAG website under the uh, Physicians Found uh, the the MAG Foundation uh, link. Okay, and can they get tied to it also from the PhysiciansInstitute.org website as well? Uh, no, we we don't actually have a link to the GPLA. We ought to have okay. one. That gives me an idea. That's something. Hey, that's see? something. That's something we could do. <laughs> uh, we just sort of rely on the MAG website to, uh, to do that. That's a, that's a great idea. That, uh, the, as you know, uh, the, the care and feeding of a given website is almost a full-time job. Oh, yeah. It's amazing how quickly that information gets stale. That's right. And uh, any kind of social media feeds that folks could tie into? I assume there are probably some links on the website as well. I'll make sure I tie into that once we get the podcast put up. Yeah, you know, we, we just at this point don't participate in social media because there are only really two full-time employees of the physician institute and we've tried it and we can't keep up with it i was going to say it takes a lot more time than you might think to tweet oh i've tried twitter (laughs) i've tried twitter a couple of times and it's just overwhelming to me i just i just can't do it Uh, all the linkedin stuff is about all i can do well, anything else that I need to get out there for you? Uh, no, I, I appreciate this opportunity very much. Uh, this has been great talking with you. Well, Bob Adelton, EVP of the Physicians Institute for Excellence in Medicine, the subsidiary organization uh, spawned by the Medical Association of Georgia. I'm certainly pleased to have had you here in the studio today talking about some of the things that you're doing. Hopefully, um, our listeners will turn around and share the information with their connections because you never know. It might end up in the hands of either a health system or a physician's office somewhere. And just by hitting share, you could end up helping folks that uh, that you never knew were out there in a, in a big way. So we hope you do. Make sure that uh, if you haven't done so already, you subscribe to our podcast so that you can stay up with all the healthcare experts that we're hosting here on the show every week. We're always talking about either clinical issues or things as we talk about here going on that uh, affect how we deliver care in the state of Georgia and beyond. So I hope you will subscribe to our podcast next time you visit the page over there on the RSS feed and uh, you can stay current with us. So to our folks over at the Medical Association of Georgia, Tom Cornegay and uh, Donald Pomisano Jr. over there, friends of ours, and we're really pleased to be carrying on this partnership that we've had with them and, and helping them get some great information out to both their membership and beyond. And then, uh, Bob, of course, thanks again for taking some time to, uh, to join me here in the studio. And uh, for all of you folks, if you've not done so already, make sure you link up with us. I do tweet, though it's uh, sometimes slowly. And uh, we're on Facebook as well at Top Docs on BRX on both Twitter and Facebook. You're welcome to, if you're listening, reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Charles W. Hall out there, and uh, uh, we'll be happy to connect with you there. And, and if you have topics that we can talk about here on the show, be more than happy to take your recommendations. I look forward to seeing you all same time, same place next week. See you then. 